This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Mindful Experiment. This is your host, Dr. Vic. And in this wonderful interview I had with Eric Zimmer was awesome. I mean, we break down concepts and ideologies of the importance of taking little things at a time and understanding the the beauty of risk and so many amazing other things about Eric that he shares in this episode that really can help you in a mindful transformational side of things and so much more. To talk a little bit about him, Eric is a dad. He is a serial entrepreneur, a podcast host, a behavioral coach, and author. He is endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives we want to live. 
Eric at the age of 24. He was homeless, he was addicted to heroin, and he was facing long jail sentences. In those years, he found a way to recover from addiction and build a life worth living for himself. In the episode, we do t- we dive into that and go even further. He has an award-winning podcast. Um, he also is, you know, works about many of the fields as to how to create a life worth living. Um, he also producing the show. Eric is a behavioral coach and has done for for the past 20 years. He's coached hundreds of people from around the world to make real lasting changes in their life. Um, his story and his work has been featured on TEDx, Mind Body Green, Elephant Journal, the BBC, and Brain Pickings. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this wonderful interview with Eric Zimmerman as we dive into all these things and so much more. So Eric, I want to uh, welcome you to the show. It's uh, exciting to have you here. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. So you, um, I love how the name of your podcast, the one you feed. Uh, I love the the logo you guys have. Uh, the the two wolves. Um, was it? Is that like a story that kind of uh, uh, something that took you? I mean, how did you guys come up with that name and everything? Well, you know, the whole podcast started kind of on a whim. I had uh, I had started a solar energy company. And uh, that went well for a while, but then lots of legislation changed in Ohio and it started going downhill. And so I put that to bed and I was just kind of bored, for lack of a better word. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just start a, a podcast for fun. And the idea just came to me that, that that parable would be a great place to sort of jump off to, to an opening question to, to lead into a podcast. The, the parable itself I had heard years and years before in recovery. I'm a recovering uh, alcoholic and, and heroin addict. And, you know, when I heard that parable in recovery early, it really spoke to me so strongly. It was just so clear to me that, you know, the choices that I was making in my day-to-day life really, really mattered. And in those days, my bad wolf was particularly ferocious. Um, he's a little bit more docile now, still, still, you know, still, <laughs> still there, but, but the, the repercussions aren't as dire. So when I heard that early on, it just really spoke to me. Um, and I think that's the thing about great parables or, or things like that is you just, you hear it and the meaning is very clear to you and it conveys so much more than just the the few lines that it is and and so it, you know it had always stuck with me yeah and i i mean i first heard that years ago too in my spiritual training and it was it's one of those things that is, is you know, there's a certain stories that bypass the mind and they hit the heart in some way yes and way to say it and that was what happened to me too it's kind of like just boom, as soon as I hit, I was like, I can't think about this. It's more of a feeling. And it's just like, wow, this is hitting me in a deeper level. So um, that's why when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I love it. Um, how about with your experiences back, you know, with the, it was a 20 years old, roughly with the, uh, cause I remember hearing you was talking about a story of when you're in a restaurant and yeah. uh, um, w- w- was that, the, what created that pivotal shift for you uh, from being, going through your past and, and, making that massive shift and change to get out of there to go sober and so forth. Yeah. So I got sober, um, the first time at 24, I actually got sober at 24, stayed sober about, uh, eight or nine years, then drank again for a couple of years and now have been sober again for, boy, I barely keep track of it anymore. 13 years, maybe. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank you. But at 24 was the, was the first shift and it was, um, 
you know, you probably heard in, in my, in the Ted talk, I was, um, I mean, essentially I was homeless. I was very sick with hepatitis C. I was, you know, I weighed like a hundred pounds. I mean, I was, I was in really bad shape and then I got arrested and had lots of, you know, really pretty serious consequences facing me. And so that was enough to sort of at least push me in the door of a treatment center. Um, I had been in before and I didn't really go in with like, all right, this is the time I'm going to get sober. I just kind of went in cause I was just like, I just don't know what else to do right now. Um, and, uh, while I was there, I got a little bit of the, I got a little bit of hope that this could be different. And I think I also got a little bit of a clear glimpse of just how dire my circumstances were. I think I had, you know, in recovery, they call it a moment of clarity. I had a moment of clarity where I thought, you know, I'm going to die. Um, if I, if I walk out of here, which is what I wanted to do, if I walk out of here and go back to my life, I'm probably going to die or I'm going to go to jail for a long time. And I'm not sure which is worse. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that I, I was sort of in the, in the classic way, my, my circumstances just became serious enough. And, and I had that moment of, you know, moment where I thought something's got to change. And then I just, once I got that, I've always been a little bit that way. Once I sort of see a glimmer of something, um, I tend to kind of go after it. And so I saw a glimmer of it, you know, finally saw a real glimmer that maybe things could be different. And so I kind of threw myself into that. Gotcha. And it was it um, that was did you was it a glimmer? Or was it like a, like a vision? Did you see? Was it something that you were just like I could see myself in a different life or see experiencing a different life? Um, you know, I don't. I, it was a long time ago. I don't know if I can speak to exactly how it took shape, and I think it took shape a lot of different ways. But you know, I started going to twelve step meetings, and I was in a was in a residential treatment center, and I just. I heard enough people say, Hey, I used to be like you and my mm-hmm. life is way, way better now. I, I heard that enough times and I opened myself up to it. I stopped sort of, um, I stopped sort of doing what a lot of people in recovery, you know, addicts, alcoholics do, which is I stopped looking for all the ways I was different from those people. Mm-hmm. And I started to see the ways I was the same. And when I saw the ways I was the same and I saw that their life had changed, I began to believe like, yeah, my life can change too. Wow, very profound there. Uh, that, could, that that could be a massive pivotal point, as it was for you. Um, how has that experience propelled you into you know? Uh, I always say the experiences of life build us and give us things to you know thrive. And as like humans, unfortunately for humans, we for most of us we like we have to get like to rock bottom of rock bottom um, before we make a massive transformation. How has that made a huge role in your life to be like, all right, this is where I'm going now, where it comes to you know, your podcasting, the transformation program you do, the behavior coaching, and so forth? Well, obviously, that is probably the pivotal moment of my life was, was choosing to get sober at that age. A, in that, like I said, I think I was, <laughs> I was on a really rough road. Um, but B, that what I learned in recovery and the skills that I got and, and just my whole outlook on life was, was transformed by that. And so that went into the way I kind of did everything from that point forward. So it's, it's very hard for me to imagine what kind of person I would be not having been through that because it's, it feels like it's so woven through all parts of my life. Um, you know, and it eventually culminated, you know, a, a, you know, 
a good number of years later, it culminated with me starting this podcast and doing behavior coaching and, and all that stuff. But boy, there was a lot of years where it just was more, um, I wouldn't say it's underground. It's just the way I was living. It was, it was the way I was living and I was doing what you would consider more, you know, sort of normal work. I mean, I, I got lucky early in recovery and I um, landed myself in a software startup company. And so, you know, I was an entrepreneur for years and years. And so it was always very exciting work. Um, but it, it took me a long time to be able to finally get that turned around to the work I was doing really aligned totally with who I was. I mean, that was a long path. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's definitely been working out wonderfully here. And, and did any of that, like, cause with the behavior coaching, I'll dive into that a little bit. Um, did that, what kind of like inspired you to get into that? Was it just, was that a part of it? Was it something else? What kind of created that inspiration? Yeah. Well, I had been doing the podcast for a few years and, um, you know, and, and it, it, it went really well. I mean, it, it just kind of, you know, we created a, a really good show, which is about half the equation. The other half is we got really lucky, I think, in a lot of ways. And the show really took off and kind of grew. And um, so I started to have a couple people inquire, you know, do you ever do any work one-on-one -on -one with people? And I, you know, I said, no, I don't. And then after a little while, you know, I got some encouragement from some people. Why don't you try it? So I decided, you know what, I'll try it. And, you know, the very first coaching call I did, I went, oh, I've done this hundreds of times because it's, I sponsored people in 12 step programs for years and years and years. I mean, a lot of people. And I realized it was very, a very similar thing. Um, what I, you know, the behavioral coaching I was doing is, is very similar to what, what I was doing when I was sponsoring people. And so as soon as I did it, I went, Oh, I actually really do know how to do this. I think. And, and, <laughs> And I feel like I'm good at it and I love doing it. So then it just kind of grew from there where I went, okay, now I feel like I, I was concerned, like, do I really have something to offer people? Can I, can it be useful? Can it be helpful? Do I know what I'm doing? Um, and you know, that was answered pretty quickly for me in the, in the affirmative that, you know, I did think that, um, I had something to offer people and the response I got from people was, was, um, really, really positive. And so, um, that's kind of how that came about. No, I appreciate you bringing that up about like knowing if you can or not. I mean, I, uh, I started to do some, uh, uh, some group coaching over the, uh, the, in the last year. And it was one of those, I went through that kind of the same process. Like I've been studying spiritual, spiritual aspects, universal laws and quantum physics for over 10 years. I've in my practice as a chiropractor, you know, I do chiropractic work, but I'm a lifestyle aspect to it all. So I was like, can I go do this stuff? Is it really possible? Do I have something to offer? And uh, uh, it's been cool. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you do it and you kind of get a feeling like, yep, okay, this, you know, I think, you know, obviously I think there's people who are not genuine about that, but, but, you know, I think you kind of know once you do it, like, all right, this is, this is resonating with people in it and it's, it's working and, and, and it feels really good to me. Exactly. And it's just like a, a new zest in life. And I, well, I want to say a new zest. It's always been a passion, but uh, just adding to that passion as I, I would like to say it. Um, how, you know, when it comes to working with people and so forth, why do you think some people don't achieve their goals? Oh boy. Well, 
or some main reasons, if you could do like a top three or something, <laughs> I know it's a big one <laughs> question. It's kind of like, why do some people get sober and some don't <laughs> in my life? Um, and, and lots of people's lives. If you could figure that, if you could figure that out for sure. Um, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a variety of things. I mean, some of it is just a willingness to change and being at the right point to change. And I don't know how, I'm not even quite sure how you get yourself to that point. Um, and sometimes it's hard to know if you're at that point. I mean, if I look back at getting sober for me, I mean, it took several tries and each time I thought, all right, I'm ready. You know, like enough is enough. I'm ready. Um, but the first several times didn't take. And so what was it about the next time? I'm not really sure. Um, I think some of, I think some of change is a learning process. I think that's one of the big things that, um, we, that happens is people tend to get themselves into these sort of self limiting beliefs, which, which are things like, Oh, I'm the kind of person who never follows through. Or I've stopped and started exercising so many different times. I'm just, I'll never stick with it, right? Like that is a, I think those things get in the way. And when you realize that change is really a skill, learning how to change your behavior and stick with it is a, is a skill that you can learn. That changes a lot of things. And so then if you, if you have the right degree of willingness and the right, um, right person to show you the different ways to change and, and to help you look at like where the roadblocks are. I think people can make a lot of progress. Um, and then I think, so that's one is kind of getting started. And then the second, which is equally hard or perhaps harder in certain people's cases is to keep going. You know, how do you, how do you make significant changes in your life that you can sustain over a long period of time? Because life just gets in the way often, right? It's like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to start, I'm going to start exercising every morning and you're off and you're doing well. And then your kids get sick and for three mornings in the row, in a row, you don't exercise because that's just not going to work because your kids are sick. How do you, how do you not let that derail you? A lot of us get derailed at points like that. That's when the, oh, see, I knew I'd never stick with it. Belief pops up. I was doing good. Now I'm not. See, I'm the kind of person that won't. And Next thing we know, then what was three days becomes, you know, a week, two weeks. And then the next thing you know, we've, we've reconfirmed our beliefs. So a lot of what I also work with people in an ongoing way is how do we keep, how do we keep these changes going? How do you deal with the fact that life is going to get in your way? I mean, I think a clear plan is critical to making change and understanding that plan is only going to be so good because stuff's going to come up. So how do you adapt and adjust and remain flexible enough that you can ultimately remain committed to what you want to do. I'm not sure I answered your question about what gets in people's way, but I think I, I guess I could summarize that by saying one of the biggest things that gets pe in people's way are self-limiting beliefs and lack of a clear plan. Yeah, no, you answered it totally. And uh, I love how you uh, at the end there was talking about, you know, with a plan, you have to, you know, but it, it usually doesn't stick. And it's it, the first quote that came in my head is, you know, you tell God, here's my plan, and, and God takes a step back and laughs. Right. Exactly. It's, and, no, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, you've got to have a plan in order yes. to, you know, I mean, I see a lot, a lot of people come to me with things like, I want to exercise more and um, eat better. Like that is just, that is a vague intention, right? Mm -hmm. it's, 
a start, but it's nowhere near what's needed. You know, we really have to get to, I'm going to do X at X time in X place. Like we got to get as specific as possible. I always say that I think that ambiguity is, is the mother of procrastination, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know what we're going to do. So having an incredibly specific plan is so important. And then yet, like you said, being willing to, to roll with it when inevitably that plan sort of gets shredded by, by, you know, life's demands. And then, but then being able to not just being able to, to replan is a lot of it, you know, is being able to just go, okay, well that didn't work. Plan B, you know, or building a plan that has, you know, here's what happens if A happens, you know, here's what happens if B happens. A lot of that is, um, in science, they call it implementation instructions. They're kind of, if then, um, you know, if this happens, then I'll do that. You know, if the kids get sick, then instead of going to the gym, I will, um, do a 10 minute workout on my iPhone in the basement, right? That's, that's sort of an implementation instruction. It tells me what I'm going to do if something happens. And those are so important to change. Uh, the good old if then, uh, I, I, I went to program, I went to school for computers for a little bit, uh, before I changed majors. So when you said if then, I'm like, I remember those things. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And how much do you think, like, with when it comes to change, though, too? Because, like, for me, um, one of the big things that I, I, I always talk so much about is the power of focus. And would you, how much do you think po- focus plays a role when it comes to making changes and sticking with them? And you know, if things turn the corner, or life gets in the way, you course correct it. Um, how much does focus play a role? Do you think? I think it's critical, and um, it's one of the reasons that. Different people need different things, but one of the things we focus a lot on is small steps. Like, and if you saw the TED talk, you know, I think, um, you know, I think it was was uh, I, I sort of made you know behavior change tied to to the game of risk, and I think one of them was consolidate your armies, right? Like, yep. don't try and change fifty things at once because you don't have the focus to do it you know, pick something and change it and stay laser focused on it. And then you can build from there to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. That's not always the best. Sometimes it's good to just overhaul everything, but it depends on the circumstance. But by and large, to your point, if, we, if we're trying to do too much, we don't have focus. And focus is really, really important. And just, you know, every day realizing like, all right, the most important thing today is doing X, you know, so if we go back to recovery, obviously for me, the most important thing was and, and remains to this day, the, the most important thing is to stay sober because everything comes out of that for me. Um, and so that focus is, is really, really critical. I love it. And I know in your backstory, in your story, that was one of the things you were sharing about how you've tried so many different times, but then there was that one time it was just boom, because you made that your biggest emphasis. And that was all you wanted, you focused on instead of everything else. Yeah, it became really clear to me. You know, I think that's what it, 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 it got that, that last time when things were really so dire, it became so clear to me that everything hinged on staying sober. That, and, and this is where I see a lot of people with with, you know, particularly with recovery or, or, or other things in general is they, they get way ahead of themselves, you know? And, and so all of a sudden what I would do before is I would, I would get clean. I'd be clean for like three days. And then I'd be like, all right, now what's important is a job and finding a girlfriend. And, you know, I'm going to rehabilitate <laughs> crashed life this week, you know? <laughs> 
And inevitably then I would spread myself too thin and I wouldn't focus on the, 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 the key thing. And, and, you know, if you're at the point where, you know, you've got, you've got an addiction that's on the verge of killing you or, or sending you to jail for 30 years, that choice becomes very clear. You know, it, it, it doesn't, you don't have to be an Einstein to sort of figure out like, okay, if I don't get this right, you know, none of the rest of it's going to matter. You know, job, I'm going to lose the job if I don't stay sober. I mean, that's been remotely, or that's been completely obvious over and over. It gets a little bit harder to see those things in, in other areas of our lives. But for me, one that I've realized for me is like exercise is a fundamental cornerstone for me because it, it affects my mental and emotional state so much that I've gotten really clear. It took me a long time to do it, but it gotten really clear that like that's a fundamental, uh, I think Charles Duhigg calls him a keystone habit. That's a keystone habit for me that really enables lots of other things in my life. And when I don't do that, everything else suffers. And so it becomes very clear to me the importance of that. And so that all goes to focus. Like what's what's really important that I do on a regular basis to, to enable all the rest of the stuff in my life. I love that. And I'm glad you brought up the, the exercise because I know with addictions and stuff like that, I mean, humans, we're all, we have addictive behaviors. We all are addicted to something. Um, and from one, you go to another, but it's, it's looking at it from a perspective of, is it going to be, you know, a, 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 a one up? Is it going to be something that's going to benefit you more? Um, like when, for example, like someone who, who smokes and they can't stop smoking. And I, I always talk to them and be like, find a new addiction, something that can change, but it's benefit. And a lot of people choose exercise. Um, was that something that was that, is that the big thing that you did? That's like, this is what I have to do. This is what gives me stability. Um, and so forth. Or is there other things that you added along in the mix or something else you chose? Well, early on for me in recovery, the, the key activity is recovery. It was going to meetings. It was, um, you know, working with a sponsor. That was the fundamental activity and everything else was secondary to that. Gotcha. You know, that was the, that was the fundamental do that. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you know, the problem with addiction it, it, and, and you're right. Everybody has, you know, uh, varying degrees of addiction. I, I, I think of addiction really uh, more and more. I think that, you know, as they study it, they talk about it as being sort of a spectrum from, you know, like stone cold dead addict to, to, you know, not addicted to anything at all. We're all on a spectrum somewhere in there. Yep. Uh, so, um, in my case, you know, it was, you know, the first and foremost thing was to really actively treat that addiction head on. That was the most important thing. But then I did certainly over time realize like, oh, you know, there's lots of other things that contribute to well-being. And ultimately, I think to recover from an addiction, to truly recover from it, we have to achieve a certain level of well-being. Because I still today am convinced if I get miserable enough, I will drink or use again. I have no, I don't feel like I've, I've, I've achieved some sort of like permanent like, oh, I'm in the clear um, you know, if I get miserable enough and because that's a lot of times what the addiction is, it's we can't stand how we feel. So we do something else to make us feel different. Yep. Um, and so long-term recovery is often about getting to the point where we're pretty comfortable, comfortable in our own skin and the, the unpleasantness that is in life. And cause there's unpleasantness in every life, we feel like we know how to handle 
and we know how to deal with. So, you know, then yes, all that other stuff, exercise, eating right, social contact. Um, that's why I think 12 step programs, there's a lot of limitations to them. There's things I don't like, but I also think that they saw, they, they managed to hit a lot of, you know, kill a lot of birds with one stone with the, the structure there. Cause you, you've got many of the things that are important all bundled into one. You've got a social component. You've got something to do. You've got, um, clear directions. I mean, it, 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 it works for a lot of reasons. Um, again, doesn't work for everybody. No, of course. And it's in, and, and I love how you, you talked about the whole feeling. Like if I get down and depressed and get into that low area again, um, have you ever heard of the book or read it? Um, power versus force. I don't think so. It's a great book by Dr. David Hawkins. And in the book, um, he talks a lot about, um, conscious technology, um, not in the sense of technology, like computers and stuff, but like using, uh, applied kinesiology to determine a vibration. I call it a vibration or a frequency. He calls it conscious technology, a conscious level, but he'll talk a lot about, um, uh, in the book, he talks a lot about, um, he brings up addiction, but he brings up like love and emotions and just, he basically decodes life in a sense. Mm-hmm. And in his book, one of the most profound things I got was to understand more about addiction and, 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 so, and compulsions and so forth is that people don't get addicted. So for example, if it's alcohol, if it's, if it's a, a specific drug, if it's eating, if it's sex, if it's porn, whatever the addiction is. They're not addicted to the the actual thing. It's the feeling they get from it and the vibration of what raises them up for that false high is what gives them – that's what they're addicted to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's ultimately about how does this thing make me feel. Um, I agree 100%. I think that's a great, a great way of looking at it. And so that's why when you were talking about like the whole got to get right with myself and be comfortable in my own skin, I just love when you were saying that because that's really, um, it really comes down to it in a lot of different ways um, with all that. I do have a, a really fun question to ask. Since you brought this up in your TEDx talk about risk, are you a really good risk player? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't play all that often, to be honest. But the, the uh, they asked me to, they the Columbus TED folks asked me if I would, um, to apply to speak at the conference and the, and the subject was risk. And I was like, well, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about behavior change. I don't, I could talk about risk. I could talk about risk with all the companies that I started all that, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. So I had to find a way (laughs) to get behavior change in a risk framework. And so, um, I just stumbled upon. I just stumbled upon using the game as a metaphor. So no, I'm not a great player. When I do play, it's really fun. But boy, it's a long game. Oh, it is. My wife will not play against me. Um, she's like, "You're too competitive. You're too strategic. You know how to do these things." <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm very competitive too, and I get. I I love that part of the game when you get enough people playing, and you can start to be like, you know, hey, if we both attack this guy, then. <laughs> I love all the strategic and diplomatic and, and all that part of it. It's a really great game. There's a game. I don't, it's a computer game. I play it every once in a while, but it, it, and I say once in a while because it drains on time like crazy, but it's called Civilization. I've heard uh, of it. 
Yeah, it, it's the same kind of concept. You work with uh, countries trying to your goal. I mean, there's many ways you could win, but long story short, it's all about. Um, I like to do it as a world dominance thing, where I just want to take over countries. But it's um, but it just takes so long, and and obviously time is uh, a very a resource that um, you know. If I had extra hours in a day, be I could definitely do that more often. But um, but it's kind of the same concept as risk, but just on a more advanced level. Yeah, yeah. I I games are an interesting thing for me because like i can struggle with playing solitaire too much so i i really have to be careful about actually playing something that would be immersive and interesting um you know i'm, I'm concerned about those at the same time i've recently over the last six months really realized like i need to play more like i need to play yeah. like just do something that is just plain fun has absolutely no other purpose than that. So I'm kind of working on figuring, figuring out that, that balance. Cause so many of the games can be so, um, they're so immersive before you know it, you know, like you said, there's two, three hours gone. I'm like, I do not have two or three hours in a day to, to, to give away to a game on any kind of consistent basis. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's in your, what you're just saying is exactly what I've been going through lately. It's like, I just I find more fun, but then have fun to like, as a kid, cause as a kid, I grew up playing video games. And it, yeah. it's, and it's not like the ones like today where you got so many buttons and so many combinations. It was like, what happened? Just a B and that's it. And, and it's simple, <laughs> Yeah, but I digress. So, um, one of the things that, you know, that you were bringing up in the Ted talk, I wanted to definitely ask and just, you know, see where this takes us is why do you think some of us procrastinate? Why do you think procrastination is, 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 is a, a killer to dreams, a killer? And this is me adding some things into it, like a killer to dreams, just a killer to momentum or creating uh, changing behavior and so forth. Yeah, it's a monster. Um, I think that procrastination has multiple roots. I don't think it's always caused by the same thing, but I do think that the underlying mechanism is not that different than an addiction, which is, um, I don't like the way I feel. So I turn away from it. Right. And we can turn away from how we feel lots of different ways, but procrastination is one. So we think about doing something that's on our to-do list and we get a feeling of dread. We're like, Oh, I don't want to do it, right? And the minute that we say, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow, we immediately feel like, oh, God, that feels good, right? Mm -hmm. Now, three hours later or the next day or the next week, we feel terrible. But in the moment, that feels really good to take that uncomfortableness off. We interviewed a guy, um, Tim, uh, I can never say his last name right, Pitchell, um, not too long ago, who's one of the world's leading researchers on procrastination. Um, it was an episode that came out really in the last month or so for us. And his phrase was, procrastination is a lot of time giving in to feel good. You're giving in so that you feel better. And so some of it is just being able to go, all right, I, this doesn't feel good. I don't want to do this. And I just do it anyway, which is on one hand, you listen to it and you go, well, that's stupid. If that was that easy, I would just do it, right? Um, but that is part of it. Part of it is just recognizing the mechanism that's at play. Um, you know, I said earlier that I think ambiguity is is often the mother of procrastination. We very often procrastinate things because our tasks aren't really tasks. An example is uh, I'll give is like I recently put out a series of videos on some of the top things I teach my coaching clients. Um, but so I had this item on my task list, get videos done, right? <laughs> that, that 
I, I procrastinated that for a long time for a, for a variety of reasons. But the biggest reason was that's not a task. That's a project. Getting those videos done was a project. I had to write the script. I had to get you know somebody to review and edit the script. I had to finalize the script. I had to um, you know set up the lights. I had to set up the teleprompter. I had to get the sound right. I had to figure out where the video shot was going to happen. You know, then I had to edit the videos. It was this huge project. And as long as I put it down as like that, that phrase, get videos done, I didn't know what to do. So I just would look at it and immediately move on to the next thing, almost without thinking. Now, when I deconstructed that to write first draft of the video script, that was something I could actually do. Um, now, again, now when the moment came, I still had to do it. And there's certain things about it that still make it hard. But that's one real practical thing that we can do is make sure that we have broken down our tasks into things that are truly a single task that we know exactly what to do with. That makes a lot of things way better. Yeah. And it's in, in, and the way the brain kind of, kind of works in a sense is that it can handle massive bits of information. Like when you were just saying like a video, um, Okay, a video, there's so many different layers to it. But when you said, I'm just going to do this, it's bite-sized. And your brain can comprehend. It can take that in. It won't get overwhelmed. Because um, one of the things is like procrastination that, you know, I love how uh, I totally agree. Um, uh, I forgot the individual's name right now. Pitzker? Pitcher? Pitzer? Pitchell. Pitchell, sorry. And so what he was saying about how... Um, it, we, we make that decision to feel good. Well, the brain's always looking for comfort. It, it doesn't want you to go outside of it. Um, it's just a, it's a million couple of million year old program. That's just like, Nope, I'm always looking for comfort. I want to keep you in comfort. Even though it's just making a decision, like uh, I'm going to get up extra early this morning and your brain's like, Mm-mm, that means we don't get as much sleep, that nice comfort feeling in the bed. No, no, we, we no, no, we're not doing that. Uh-uh, not happening. Right. And so it, it, it definitely aligns with that. But um, I know you talked about this in the wrist too, in, 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 in your talk, when it comes to you have a certain systemic way of looking at or a process of breaking things down to make it simpler so that you can um, take it on. So you minimize the the opportunity of procrastination. I don't know that there's a system. Often it's helpful to have somebody do that with you. I often find that a lot of, a lot of us, we go, well, I, I, I don't know how to break this down. It just feels overwhelming. It's too big. So often having someone else, and it doesn't have to be someone, you know, like a professional coach, like me, me or you, but Mm -hmm. that can also be very helpful, but to have somebody to help you break it down. But I think it's, you just keep asking, is there another way to break this down? Is there another level smaller of this, you know, and it should be, you know, you've got it when it's something that you can see, you know, very clearly like, all right, here's where I would start and here's where the end is. And it's not too long. Um, and then the other thing, sometimes it can be really helpful is if you end up with something like right first draft of the video, that can still feel like, <laughs> you know. so then the next thing that I often say is, okay, we don't know how long that'll take. So let's just deconstruct it time-wise okay, I'm going to work on the first draft of the video for 15 minutes. That again is, that feels manageable. So I think, I think it's just keep looking at the things on your list and make sure that it's really clear how to, 
exactly what the step is. If you, if you can't figure out what the, what the first step is. And, you know, so there's lots of different ways you could, you could deconstruct the, you know, write the first draft of the video into, um, you know, write one paragraph of, you know, the basic ideas of the video. And then you could say, create an outline of the video, right? An outline's easier to create than a whole draft. I mean, so you can still, there's ways to deconstruct that further. Um, and then once you've got things sort of deconstructed, then it becomes the matter of actually doing them. And so I think there's, there's really two, you know, all sort of, I think all success and, and, and behavior change can be really broken down to, all right, have a very clear idea of what you want to do. Decide what the plan is from sort of a, um, sort of a, your higher place, your higher self, like the, the, the you that can sit back and reflect and decide what's important. You've got to, you've got to do that and know the plan. And then the next piece is just then execute the plan. But if you can get that into two steps, you're a lot closer. Cause a lot of us, what we're doing is we're having to figure out what we're going to do we're trying to look at the task and figure out where to start or what to do. When are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? We add all that on top of having to do it. And it's just, that is too much. And we just go, eh, nope. Whereas if we have one period of time where we get it all figured out, exactly what we're going to do, when, where, how, and then when it comes time to actually do it, we can put all of our energy just to doing it. And that does help a great deal. And then, you know, the other thing that I rely on over and over and over is, um, I kind of call it tricking myself into getting started. But it's basically like, okay, I've got to clean the house today. When I think of cleaning the house, I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. That, <laughs> right? So I go, you know what? I'm going to set the timer for five minutes and I'm going to start cleaning the kitchen. And I literally set a timer for five minutes and I give myself permission if after five minutes I can quit. Gotcha. And 99% of the time I carry on. It's the getting started that is often so hard is just to get moving. It's that old physics idea, right? A body in motion stays in motion. And, you know, one at rest stays at rest. A lot of times the goal is just to get it moving. And so this sort of tricking yourself into getting started, because I, I sort of look at it and I go, I can't say no to five minutes. Like I can do anything for five minutes. Come on, just do five minutes, right? I can usually push myself. And then again, we get going. We often think of motivation as motivation is we get motivated, then we do something. But it works exactly opposite also a lot of the time. If we can just get started, then the motivation grows. In the same way that the moment that you go, oh, I'm going to put something off, you feel a little bit better for a while, often the same thing happens when you just get started. Once you just get across the starting line and you're in a little bit of motion, you feel better and and because you're doing what you know you should be doing. And by should, I mean what you've decided is important, not, not like external, oh, you should do this. I mean like truly internal, I've thought about what's important to me. This is what I what, what's important to me to do. I'm doing it. There's a congruence that comes with that. It feels good to do the things that we say to ourselves we're going to do. So often just getting started builds the motivation and it's, it's easier to keep going. And you can apply this in lots of ways. I mean, I do it a lot for going to the gym. It's like, Oh, I want to go to the gym. All right. Just get into your gym clothes. (laughs) Once I'm into my gym clothes and I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'll just make it to the gym. You know, I, I, it depends on the level of resistance, but if it's a day where I'm really struggling, it might be like, just get to the gym. 
Okay. And once you get to the gym, you know what? You don't have to go in if you don't want to. Or just get on the treadmill. You can just walk if you want, right? And almost every time I end up on the treadmill running. And so, you know, just learning to work with resistance in that way. And I wish that like, you know, I could say like, well, I'm, you know, I never have resistance and I know what I'm going to do. And I just happily march into the gym every day and climb on the treadmill because I'm going to conquer life. Right. But that's not my temperament to a certain extent. You know, some of this is temperamental. And so what I find myself doing is just the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step. And it works and it, it works the opposite way with bad habits. It's why the, you know, perhaps the most known phrase out of 12 step program out of AA is one day at a time. Mm -hmm. It really works. And you can break that down to one minute at a time. All right, I'm not going to drink for the next minute. I'm not going to drink for the next hour. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to drink today. Tomorrow? All right, we'll see what happens. But my commitment is to today. Um, All that stuff works. No, and I think that's massive, and 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 you hit a lot of great points, and 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 you know, basically, the for what I'm getting is action is the killer procrastination. Just do and figure out the most smallest way of how you can do that in the mind, whatever way you track that. That is a very good summary of what took me ten minutes to say. No, but you said it so. You but you did it so elegantly. That's why I loved it, and yeah. it's true though, because like even with with just um, you know, I've 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 heard this, I've experienced this in my life where. Once you, like even working out, I can't stand working out, right? I mean, I go and do it because it's health benefits, but there's days where I'm just like, I don't want to go to the gym. I, I just don't, I don't want to go. I have no feeling of going. But once I just do the work, I get up, I say, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to the gym. Let's see where I'm at. And then like you, you get on the treadmill, next thing you know, you're running. Uh, same thing here. And I tell people a lot, it's just, just go and just do, even if you half asset, it, it, you're still doing something. And that's more important, even on a neurological level, it's just important to keep firing those nerves of doing that because you're still building up that, you're still moving the, creating the momentum. Yeah. Do that. That's so important. And it's the reason sometimes that small steps are really important too. Like if you're out of shape and your goal is to go to the gym every day for an hour, that's going to be really (laughs) awful. Right? It just is. And you you might gut it out for a little while. Um, and depending on the level of support you have, there's a, we interviewed a guy, BJ Fogg, and he's a Stanford professor who's done a lot of research into behavior change. And he has something called the Fogg behavioral model. And we can't really go into it all here, but it basically says that, um, if you think of a graph, there's, there's two axes. One is the, the effort level, right? And the second is the motivation. And, and if something's really hard to do, you've got to have sky high motivation. So like if you belong to a CrossFit gym and you've got people supporting you and calling you to make sure you go and all that, you could probably do really hard things. But if you don't have that, right, doing a really hard workout when you're just getting started means your motivation has to be sky high every day. And that's not the way our motivation works. So what happens is if you then pick something that's easier to do, you need less motivation. And then as you do it one time, you do it two times, you do it three times, it starts to get easier. As, an, as a workout gets easier, again, you're doing more and your motivation level, again, can fluctuate a little bit. And it's really helpful to see the graph. You might, you know, people could search for fog behavioral model, but it really unlocked something in my mind when I saw it. And, and so that speaks to why small steps are really important. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, if you haven't worked out at all, 
for six months. Maybe just getting to the gym and getting on the treadmill for 15 minutes and walking is enough. Maybe a walk around your block every day, 15 minutes. Um, and then you can build from there. Um, and it speaks to kind of what you said it, is that we have to do something that's, that feels manageable to us. Yeah, no, totally. And, and it's, it's true. And, and again, it comes back to like, you know, you hear this all the time about present time being in the moment and that's kind of like the stuff. Don't worry about where you want to go. Cause like, even with working out, like in the first three months, you know, if you, let's say you want to lose weight, this is, you know, time of year. Uh, this is all, all about new year's resolutions and stuff. And people want to lose weight, get in shape, do this. And I always tell them like in three months, you may start to see some changes, but you, in, physically, but when you, but as you continually do the work, uh, six months, eight months, you start to notice, wow, I'm getting definition here. I'm getting cut up over here. I notice my face is getting slimmer. Then there's, as we were talking about earlier, you brought up that, you know, action causes more motivation. You get more, you're building that momentum and you keep rocking and rolling with it. Yep, absolutely. It's really, really useful to focus on, I mean, goals are great, right? Um, the challenge with goals though is often what happens is we meet our goal and then we're done. Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose 15 pounds. We lose 15 pounds and then we abandon everything that got us to that point. Yeah. You know, what's a lot more helpful and sustainable is to focus on the process. What is the process? What am I going to do? And by focusing on process, if we just look at that each day, what is my, what, what am I being asked to do today? Let me put that effort in. Things take care of themselves. Bamboo is a great, um, <laughs> bamboo is a great analogy, right? Because apparently bamboo will grow. I, I don't have my times right, but it'll be like two, three years that it's growing underground. You don't see it at all. Nothing. And then boom, it'll grow like 40 feet in a month. Yep. And, and so that's exactly what you're saying. You don't see results right away. And if all you're looking for is results, it's easy to get discouraged. If you focus on the action, just showing up, doing it day after day, results will come, um, but, but they don't come often as quickly as we would like. And that's a real common reason people give up is they think this should change immediately. Um, and when it doesn't, we stop. And, you know, I think that's why focusing on systems and processes rather than just the goal is a really good way to, to change, to make a permanent change in your life around something. You know, when I went from, I'm going to lose 15 pounds to I'm the kind of person who's going to exercise five days a week. That is a different mentality. Um, you know, an exercise, it's funny because I, I always, I always joke about like, I've exercised thousands of times in my life. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, it's, I, I, it's a lot. And every single time I've ever gone and exercised, when I'm done, I've been like, boy, am I glad I did that. Every time, no exception. You would think that that would be easy to do. hundred <laughs> percent success rate of being like, that was a good thing to do. You know, it's amazing to me that some, you know, that that can still be, um, a challenge. But the thing that really changed exercise for me was when I started really focusing on how I felt immediately after I did it. Yeah. Because if I'm looking for losing weight or looking better or being more cut or not having a heart attack in 20 years, those things are difficult that you don't see them right away. But if I focus on after I'm done exercising every time I feel better, that brings it a little bit closer to focus. And I can, I can often, that is often more motivating. I'm like, okay, 20 minutes, not going to like it, maybe. 
although some exercise I've, I've grown to enjoy and you should look for kinds that you like, but 20 minutes later, I feel better guaranteed. It's a guaranteed 20 minutes, you know, after 20 minutes, I'm going to feel better. And that really helps me to, to sort of stick with it. And, um, because I'm doing it sort of, you know, in a short term, like I want to feel better, which is not unlike the reason you take a drink or, or, or put a needle in your arm, but boy, it's a heck of a lot better way to do it. Yeah. It's just a whole different, different side effects. <laughs> um, but no, I love how you said the whole, uh, uh, always feeling better after a workout. Yeah. There's never been a day in my life after a workout where I was just like, why did I fight that? Man, I feel good. I'm ready to rock and roll now. Let's, let's start the day. I know, let's just... think it would just be easy to do. You just think it would be like, <laughs> why is that? Why does that habit loop not take stronger effect? You know, it's pretty, you, you, you do cocaine a few times. You're like, God, that feels good. It's really easy to do. You'd think that I just, it's a constant mystery to me why the exercise loop is harder. Maybe it's just because the in-between time is challenging or to your point, as humans, we have a, you know, we have a, a, a comfort loop. I also think we have an, you know, built into that comfort loop is an evolutionary history of expend no more energy than you absolutely need to. Yep. Like I think it's just built biologically in every creature conserve your energy. Um, and, no, and, that, and that's, and that's, that's the comfort thing. It's, it's, it's exactly what you said. That's one part of it though. But it's, when it comes to like those type of things, it's exactly that. And, uh, yeah, your brain's always looking to be comfortable. It's it's and uh, but uh, well, you have to get uncomfortable to be what you want to get or achieve or have. So it's 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 funny how that all works. Yep, absolutely. So as we wind down here, great, awesome combos here. A um, couple questions I always like to ask if I get a chance to, and I have an opportunity here, so I'm going to really ask you: um, What is a, a favorite book? Something that has that really you can go back to where it really was a pivotal moment that changed your life or it's just one of those books that are just like, yeah, this book was, there's many of them, but this one had a big role in my life. It's funny. I get asked that question um, semi-often and my answer always seems to vary. I just can't seem to pick one. So <laughs> one that comes to mind today um, and it's called, it's a book called The Spirituality of Imperfection by Ernest Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum. And it, um, part of it profiles um, the early days of AA, but that's not, I mean, that's part of it, and that's what sort of drew me to it in the first place. But it's really a book about recognizing that we are not perfect, and we all have limitations. And being human means that we're not going to live up to what we always say we're going to live up to. We're not always going to get what we want. Life is going to be challenging, but it, it sort of creates sort of a spirituality out of that. And it, and it has lots and lots of stories from lots of different, um, you know, wisdom traditions that, that sort of bring this point to mind. But I just found it, I just realized the other day that book has, has really fundamentally, fundamentally changed the way I viewed myself and the world. It's one of those books that had such a big impact. And um, so that's the one that comes to mind today. Awesome. I'll check that out. That's definitely a book I need to read. Um, you know, being a, it, it, over time, I'm learning how more as being human, we're imperfect, but our imperfections is what creates us perfect. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that sounds like a good one. Um, what is a, a, a quote that you that is deep meaning to you or a quote that you um, love the reciter use often that has meaning to you or it, it really, again, 
created a transformation in your life. Yep. I'm always afraid of quotes because I never am like, do I have them attributed to the right person anymore? <laughs> I'm going to get 15 emails after this. Like, that's not who said that. Uh, uh, I know what you mean. <laughs> the person that I've heard it attributed to is Arthur Ashe, the tennis um, legend. And it's do what you can. You, uh, I'm not going to even get it. I'm not going to get the quote right. But it's something like start where you are, do what you can, use what you have. It's basically like, I love it because it says, wherever you are, you can start now. Use what you have, you know, do what you can, you know, you, you have what you need right now to start to make positive change in your life. And so many of us think that, well, we'll, I'm, I'll, I'll do that when, I'll do that when, you know, and, you know, when often doesn't come, um, and even when what seems like the perfect moment does come, it's not. No moment is, is perfect. So, you know, doing, making change in life, doing what you want in life starts right where you are right away. You can always do something. So true. I love how you say that. And, and that, uh, yeah. It's, and again, like we going back to just reinforcing again what we talked about earlier about bite sizes, just doing things little, whatever the small is that you can handle, start there. Yep. Yep. All right. Eric, how can people find you, connect with you? I know you got your podcast and everything. Um, how can they get a hold of you? Yep. So the 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 best place is oneyoufeed.net. You know, it's all spelled out O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net. That's where the podcast is. Um, you can find links to my coaching, to the TED Talk, to a reading list, all kinds of stuff out there. But if you're specifically interested in just the coaching, you can go to ericzimmer.coach. And um, I've got um, two videos there. One of them is like 40 minutes long, and it really is like the number one thing that I teach my coaching clients. And it's um, I put a lot of effort into it. I think it's it's good. So you can go to ericzimmer.coach also if you want to get right to that. But oneyoufeed.net is where the podcast is and, and everything else. And we know you put a lot of effort into those videos because you broke down the process of how that works. So uh, we know those are going to be amazing videos. <laughs> well, good feedback so far. I totally, I totally could see that. Um, well, Eric, it was a pleasure having you on. This was a uh, great chatting and uh, definitely uh, grasping the aspect of little to do more and changing our behaviors and learning a little bit about risk in the process. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Vic. I really appreciate you having me on. This has been a, a really good conversation. You're, you're good at this. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you. That's a, that's a huge compliment. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.